Well, hey everyone, I'm Janet B. I've recovered from compulsive eating and bulimia. Really happy to be here with all of you tonight. And we are, um, as the words of the famous Julie Andrews, let's start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. So we are going to start, um, I'm gonna say, couple things about the forwards, maybe just spend a few minutes and then we're gonna dive right in into the doctor's opinion and hopefully find some really good stuff in this text. So if you have your book and you can do Roman numerals, we are on the forward to the first edition, XIII, Roman numeral 13, where they start out, so this is the forward, like the first thing they want us to know. They say, we of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. I mean, that when it just started, you couldn't probably find 10, let alone 100. And now there's over 100 of us just on this one workshop right now. But there are a hundred and they say we've recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. It seemed hopeless until God was brought into the equation. And then they tell us why the book was written to show other alcoholics or for us compulsive eaters precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. So this is like a textbook. It's like if I had diabetes and someone said, this is your manual on how to inject insulin. I would follow what it said exactly. And this is my textbook on how to recover. But it's more than that. So on the forward to the second edition, Roman numeral XV, page 15, it says, since the original forward to this book was written in 1939, when they had a hundred of them, they say, a wholesale miracle has taken place. So when we think of miracles, you know, I think we think of things like Moses, you know, parting the Red Sea, or maybe like Jesus coming down off the cross, or, you know, Joshua making the sun stand still. We think of like in olden days, miracles happen, but they are saying that not just one-off miracles like those things, but wholesale miracles, like large groups of people, this has taken place and it is still taking place. And they tell us that's what we can have. Well, what do we do? So again, um, we flip the page, Roman numeral 16 at the bottom, and it says, talks about two of the founders. And it says, one alcoholic could affect, oh, no, it says when Dr. Bob, he had tried before, he says, but when he learned of alcoholism and its hopelessness, he began to pursue the spiritual remedy for his malady with a willingness he had never before been able to muster. So they say a spiritual remedy pursued with incredible willingness. And on the top of the next page, Roman numeral 17, XVII, says strenuous work, one alcoholic with another, was vital to permanent recovery. Look at what's there in that one sentence. So first it tells us strenuous work. We can't have a la-di-da, 
attitude about these steps. Like, you know, I'll fit it in the way, the way I fit in like my stamp collecting. I don't really collect stamps, but best example I could think of, you know, you do it kind of as a hobby in your spare time, you dabble in it. They say, no, strenuous work was vital, vital, life-giving to permanent recovery. Guys, they are telling us recovery can be permanent. We can get it and we can have it forever, but it's work. Um, the work, our actions precede the miracle. You know, unfortunately, it is not like, um, generally not like the olden days where Moses, you know, just splits his hand and says a prayer and God splits the sea. We do certain actions and then God changes our hearts so that the illness of compulsive eating basically gets its eviction notice. Um, but again, it's my job if there's a flood raging outside and the cops are with their bullhorns saying, get to the roof, the helicopters are coming to rescue you. I can't go and open the front door and say, helicopter, land here, because this is easy and comfortable for me. And I don't want to do the work of climbing to the roof. I need to climb, let's get corny, the 12 steps up to the top of my roof to get rescued. But never let me be so arrogant as to say I rescued myself. So we do this strenuous work. But it's only so that we can put ourselves in a position to be rescued. So with that, let us turn to the doctor's opinion, Roman numeral XXV, Roman numeral 25, where he starts off saying, we of Alcoholics Anonymous believe the reader will be interested in the medical estimate of the plan of recovery described in this book. Okay, so just for some context, the doctor's opinion isn't the plan of recovery, it's like, it's a book review, right? The doctor is reviewing the book, Alcoholics Anonymous. The book of Alcoholics Anonymous came first. And then this was the review of it. And he basically gave it two very enthusiastic thumbs up. So what does he say? He starts with a letter in case, remember back then AA was new. So if someone said, we're from Alcoholics Anonymous, people would say, what, who, why should we listen to you? So he's writing at first a letter of recommendation saying you can rely on these people. And he said, okay, I used to work with alcoholics who were hopeless. Um, now, hopeless is good. Hopeless means, um, you know, people say sometimes the first step is putting down the food. But the first step says, no matter how hard I try, I can't put down the food. I am hopeless. And then that impels us, just like said about Dr. Bob, to muster the willingness we need in order to work this program. So hopeless is good because only, well, I'll qualify that. Hopeless is good only if there's someone who is showing us what to do now that we feel hopeless. But we have to feel we've got no other options. Who would go through chemo except someone who feels they have cancer? And people like us do not like to take directions well, and we're not gonna do it unless and until we feel hopeless. So we feel hopeless. And then he says, 
this is a doctor talking about some guy who recovered from alcoholism, which was virtually unheard of then. And he said, he acquired certain ideas concerning a possible means of recovery. Okay, what were the ideas he acquired? What were, and we see in the book, um, page 98, in a nutshell, trust God, clean house, and then help others. We come to trust and rely on God. And again, if we have trouble, because you know we all do, we all can like blame our rotten childhoods or the nun who hit us with a ruler when we were eight years old, or you know the church we were forced to go to, or the synagogue that you know we were forced to go to. A lot of us have trouble with God, but we have a way to work through it. You know, this book gives us a way in steps two and three how to really work through that. And to find a relationship with God, we can trust. So we trust God, clean house, because we are people who've created a lot of wreckage and we need to clean it up. And then once we do and we experience the miracle, we help others. So we flip the page to Roman numeral 26, XXVI, and it's then it starts talking about, well, our bodies are different also, right? We can't just say we're people who are weak-willed, we're maladjusted to life. Um, and it says the doctor has a theory that we have an allergy to alcohol, and that's interesting. And it says it explains many things which we couldn't otherwise account for. Um, that's true. You know, there's a lot of us who feel that if there's certain things we have, we can't stop. Once we start, we can't stop. Um, so they say there's an allergy component to it, right? Once a person takes the first bite of, let's say, sugar, you know, he or she can't stop. Um, well, I had a friend, Elle, and her husband saw if he had even one glass of wine, he couldn't stop. He kept drinking and he couldn't stop. So he said, I can't drink. I'll never again have even one glass of wine. And he didn't. So the fact of what happens to a person when they drink too much and get drunk was irrelevant to him because even though he had the allergy, he was able to not take the first drink. Or with me, with cats, I'm severely allergic, allergic to cats. If I go near a cat, I'm liable to have an asthma attack. So what do I do? I stay away from cats. But how come I couldn't do that with cookies? How come I couldn't say, if I have one cookie, I'll break out in a binge, just like if I had, you know, go near one cat, I break out in wheezing. Couldn't do it because it's an allergy, but it's more than an allergy because the next line says, we work out our solution on the spiritual and the altruistic plane. If I were to tell you I have a cat allergy and in order to get rid of it, I have to work it out on the spiritual or altruistic plane, that would make no sense. I don't have to work 12 steps on a cat allergy because I'm able to stay away from cats. So then there's something else wrong with us um, other than the physical allergy. And we'll get into that in a little bit. So they talk, they say, though we work at our solution on the spiritual as well as the altruistic plane, again, the twin themes that are throughout this book, faith and works together. 
we favor hospitalization for the alcoholic who is very jittery or befogged. Um, so the purpose of that, it says, was because a man's brain had to be cleared, right? If someone's in an alcoholic um, state where they don't even know which end is up, we can't start talking to them about concepts in the big book. This, But what they're not saying is, if there's someone who's drinking, make sure they are left alone and get 48 hours or 72 hours or whatever the magic number of hours is together before you tell them about the steps. What this is, is just to make sure that someone's, um, I can't think of the word, someone is, their mind isn't befogged, that they're able to understand. Usually for us, I think if I were binging, an hour later, I could understand what someone was talking about with the food. I may, you know, have a stomach ache, but I could understand it. So I personally don't tell sponsees, go get 48 hours, 72 hours, whatever a magic number of hours is. It's like, are you hopeless? Are you willing to go to any length? If so, we can start right now. Um, okay, so... Now we are on Roman numeral 27, XXVII. And the doctor is saying, you know, we're, we've got all this science. We've got all these things to help us, but we still aren't equipped to apply the powers of good that lie outside our synthetic knowledge. Um, it says we need something like moral psychology. Well, again, for my cat allergy, I don't need any kind of moral psychology. I just need to stay away from cats, which I can do. Um, but here's a doctor saying we need the powers of good, real, meaning the power of God, that, of course, a doctor can't generate. And they talk about one time one of the leading contributors to this book came under our care in the hospital. And while here, he acquired some ideas, which he put into practical application at once. So that's Bill Wilson. Right when he got sober, he was still, he'd been drinking so much. Um, he had to go to the hospital to kind of get detoxed. Um, but even before he went to the hospital, Ebby talked to him about God and about surrendering to God. But his mind and his body just needed some help. But even then, he started thinking, how can I help others? So what I take out of that is we have to do what we know. We may not be through the steps yet, but as a friend of mine who was a recovered alcoholic said, anyone from day one when they come into AA can stop lying and stop stealing. We can all do that. We can all start emptying the dishwasher. We can start when we go to the store and we put our shopping cart away. That's right. We have to put our shopping carts away. We can put away a few other shopping carts. We can do what we know. We can start helping other people. And it says later he requested the privilege of being allowed to tell his story to others. You know, sometimes people say, I don't want to sponsor. I'm, you know, scared, whatever. It is a privilege. And even though we may start out not liking it. 
this book promises us that frequent contact with newcomers and each other is the bright spot in our lives. So we get the privilege of helping others. And he describes these first hundred alcoholics and what they had in common. He said, um, it's amazing. Um, I looked up the definition. It means unexpected in a good way. Amazing. They're unselfish. There is an entire absence of profit motive, meaning no one does this for money. It's free. Um, a community spirit. They labor long and wearily. So yeah, sometimes we have to give up sleep, give up time watching Netflix. That's what we have to do. Um, and it says, I love this line. They believe in themselves and still more in the power which pulls chronic alcoholics back from the gates of death. So if you can picture like someone, you know, I picture someone walking toward a gate with like a skull and crossbones over it. And I guess we could see all sorts of like binge foods right behind the gate. And then this loving God pulling us back. So this book is full of clues about God. And so here's one of them. Our God pulls us back from the gates of death. So it doesn't really matter how I was raised with God. This is a God I can be interested in having a relationship with. One who is willing and able to pull me back from the gates of death. Okay. Turning the page to 27 XX, sorry, 28 XXV III. It says, frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices, right? Who of us is here because someone said to us, you know, you have such a pretty face. If you only lost X number of pounds or for you people from across the pond, X number of stones, um, then your life would be good. Can't you see how you're hurting your family? Can't you see what you're doing to your kids? Can't you see how you're destroying your career, your health? Then Hova said, oh my gosh, thanks for that information. I think I'll go to Overeaters Anonymous and get better. Not one of us is here because of frothy emotional appeal, I would venture to guess. Um, it says, the message that can interest and hold us must have depth and weight. The message about the problem, that it's not just use your willpower, don't eat certain foods. It's you have an illness and it's an illness that its root is lack of power. And no matter what you do on your own, on our own, we can never muster the power we need. Just like if someone has cancer, um, they can't make their cancer cells stop multiplying on their own. There has to be an outside intervention. And that's the depths of our powerlessness um, and the depths and weight of our recovery that the God who created the universe reaches down through time and space into our lives individually and does a miracle in our hearts. That has depths and weight, more depths and weight than here's the schedule for the nearest pay and way. That God loves each and every one of us and wants to do a miracle in our hearts. 
And it says, in nearly all cases, their ideals, our ideals, must be grounded in a power greater than themselves if they are to recreate their lives. Recreate. God isn't interested in mending. He's interested in transforming. And that is what he does. So it goes on and um, talks about this altruistic movement growing up. Um, growing up among us, altruistic, giving ourselves for others. And of course, um, on page 20, it tells us that our very lives as ex-problem drinkers or eaters depends upon not the perfect food plan, not how much I pray and meditate. My life depends upon my constant thought of others and how we may help meet their needs. So if we're struggling, one thing we can ask ourselves are, who are the others in my life right now? It could be our family. Um, it could be our friends. Um, who are the others in my life? What needs do they have that I can legitimately meet? And that is how we grow. That is how we grow spiritually. Okay, they switch gears a little. Again, bottom of 28 XXVII. And it says, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. It's generally, you know, a few seconds of feeling good and then blot out, just blots out. And it tells us that um, we have a false perception of things. And, you know, our sense of reality is skewed, that our alcoholic or compulsive eating life seems the normal one. It isn't. It isn't. If someone were to go to Europe during World War II, go to France, for instance, and see everyone was emaciated because they were starving, um, that may have been normal for that time, but it wasn't healthy. So just because something feels normal to us doesn't mean it's healthy. And it tells us that we are restless, irritable, and discontent unless we can experience, top of Roman numeral 29, XXIX, the sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking a few drinks, drinks which others can take with impunity. Yeah, others can do it with impunity. My daughter can, you know, feel depressed and eat half a pint of ice cream and, you know, or a pint of ice cream. And the next day she's like, back to eating like a normal person. She can eat with impunity and the sense of ease and comfort. Well, we sometimes have to learn to live with discomfort. You know, that's just, that's just the way it is. Um, you know, we all have things that are not comfortable for us. I, you know, have a child now who says, you know, wants to go on medication for depression, anxiety, was um, very suicidal for a while, like 30 suicidal thoughts a day. Um, I have to be able to live with things like that without picking up the food. And this program teaches me how. Um, between the steps and the fellowship and the work God does in our hearts, we are able to face what life throws at us. So again, continuing on page XXIX, Roman numeral 29, it says, 
once we've kind of crossed a line, we have the phenomenon of craving. Um, it would be as if I had this um, desire that was stronger than me to walk into pet stores that I could not stop myself. Um, and once we do that, it says we emerge remorseful, like we hate ourselves with a firm resolution not to do it again. And what happens? We do it again and we're remorseful and we promise ourselves we won't do it again over and over. And it says really our only hope, there's very little hope for us unless we can experience an entire psychic change. And a psychic change is a spiritual experience defined on page 25, where God comes in and changes our priorities and rewires our hearts. Sometimes it happens in an instant. Usually, I would say more than 90% of the time, it's gradual. We look back and we say, huh, I wasn't selfish in that area where I was before. Or, huh, that person did this and this to me. And I didn't get angry or I got angry, but instead of say, staying angry for three weeks, I only stayed angry for three hours and I didn't have to retaliate. We're changed. And it says then, on the other hand, and strange as this may seem to those who don't understand, once a psychic change has occurred, the very same person who seemed doomed, who had so many problems, he despaired of ever solving them, suddenly finds himself, listen to this word, easily, easily able to control his desire for alcohol or food. The only effort necessary being that required to follow a few simple rules, rules, not suggestions. There's things we have to do, um, but it gets easy. It gets easy, but we have to do it. Um, the rules such as we have to think, what would God have me do in a situation? And we have to do it. When we have resentments, we have to look at our part, even when it's really hard. And the other person we think was way more wrong than we were. Um, we have to do a few things, but what happens then? Then it's easy. Then I don't have to pick up the cookie. I don't have to think about picking up a cookie. And then the next paragraph is kind of heartbreaking. The doctor says, men have cried out to me in sincere, listen to that word, sincere and despairing appeal. Doctor, I cannot go on like this. I have everything to live for. I must stop, but I cannot. You must help me. Guys, desire alone won't do it. I spent my first seven-ish years in Overeaters Anonymous unable to get abstinent. And people said, you know, oh, you don't want it badly enough. I wanted it really badly, but desire doesn't do it by itself. Imagine going up to someone who has cancer and saying, you must not have, you must not have a strong desire to recover from cancer. Otherwise you'd be able to make your cancer cells stop multiplying. Our problem isn't lack of desire, it's lack of power. And then he says, if a doctor is honest with himself, he must see that something more than human power is needed. Well, of course, a miracle is needed and only God can do that. And the doctor says, you know, I don't believe that this is a problem of mental control. And he talked about how some people eat or drink 
because they're restless, irritable, discontent, can't live with discomfort. But now he talks about people where things are going well. Something was going to go well for them. And then they took a drink anyway. So we can drink because we're resentment or fearful or we've done damage. And sometimes we eat compulsively just because the illness who is in control decides that we are going to eat compulsively and there is nothing that we can do about it. So what do we do? We're on page XXX, Roman numeral XXX, page 30. And it talks about that we are people who are over remorseful and make many resolutions, but never a decision. Well, I made plenty of decisions. I decided that, you know, Monday I will stick to my food plan. It didn't work. So what decision are they talking about? They must have a specific one in mind. And I think, where do they use that word decision? And of course, with step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. And that is the decision we have to do. Surrender our lives to God as we understand him. So um, again, they talk about the only relief is entire abstinence. So for an alcoholic, that would be completely refraining from alcohol. For compulsive eaters, different people define it different ways. Some say it's staying away from your alcoholic foods or you know certain behaviors. But um, whatever it is, in general, we have some kind of plan as to what defines our abstinence. Now, they talk about this precipitates us into a seething cauldron of debate. We've resigned from the debating society. So we're not going to, uh, you know, we're not going to sit there and debate what entire abstinence is. I think it's something a person can work out with his or her sponsor. So the doctor finishes Roman numeral 31 XXXI. And he says, what's the solution? Perhaps I can best answer this by relating one of my experiences. So he says, okay, about a year ago, this man was brought in to be treated for chronic alcoholism, like pathological mental deterioration, lost everything in life and was only living to drink. And he said, he frankly admitted and believed that for him, there was no hope. But what happened? He accepted the plan outlined in this book. And one year later, he came to see the doctor and the doctor is, okay, I know his name. I kind of recognize his face, but something's different. From a trembling, despairing, nervous wreck had emerged a man brimming over with self-reliance and contentment. A long time has passed with no return to alcohol. So the doctor's giving this paragraph to us as a model of what recover the recovery process. So the guy admitted he was hopeless. He was without hope. He was at bottom. It says he frankly admitted and believed for him there was no hope. He knew he couldn't stop. He was willing to go to any length, right? It says he accepted the plan outlined in this book. He did the work and then he experienced the spiritual experience, the transformation. And again, I am sure 
he kept working with others because it says his recovery was permanent, a long time passed with no return to alcohol. So if we're sitting here, if you're sitting here tonight feeling hopeless, I say, that's great. Now all you have to do is make a decision that you will do whatever it takes to get better find a sponsor who can help you, someone who's done this work, and you get to interview them. You get to vet your sponsor to make sure they've done this work. Do the work, have the spiritual experience, and then help others so that you can just keep it forever. So he gives more stories about this, about a man who hid, who hid in a deserted barn determined to die and was rescued by a search party. Um, sometimes if people go out, we just let them go out. But, you know, it's not a bad idea to call someone we haven't seen in a while and just say, I haven't seen you in a while. Are you okay? Shoot them a text like, are you okay? Here's, you know, a recording of like a good podcast that I think might be helpful, you know, and if you ever want to grab a cup of coffee or a virtual cup of coffee, call me. Um, so last page of the doctor's opinion, XXXII, Roman numeral 32, it talks about, he talks about um, a person who had been an alcoholic, but became sold on the ideas contained in this book. So really, if we want to know what the doctor's opinion is, the doctor's opinion is that we should read this book and do what's in it. And he closes by saying, I earnestly advise every alcoholic every compulsive eater to read this book through. And though perhaps he came to scoff. So we don't write off scoffers. We don't write off the people who come in like, this doesn't make sense. Though perhaps he came to scoff, he may remain to pray. So the doctor's last piece of advice is to do what's in this book and to pray. Why pray? Why? Because prayer, it doesn't just make us feel better. Um, prayer actually does something in the spiritual world. Prayer is our connection to God. If I um, went was near cats and had an asthma attack, I would need a connection to a doctor. My connection to a doctor would be verbal, you know, doctor, help. And prayer is our connection with God. And I want to just go back to one more thing that I left out um, in the forward to the second edition page XX, Roman numeral 20. And it says, why did people start accepting AA and the anonymous programs? And it says, there were two reasons, the large numbers of recoveries and reunited homes. And then they said, of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried. So that means not just going to meetings, but doing the work, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. I was not in that 50%. 25% sobered up after some relapse. That was me. And among the remainder, those who stayed showed improvement. We should not write off the people who it takes some time for them to get better, or we would be writing off, you know, 50% of people who ultimately do get better. So I think, again, the main takeaways I get from this, the doctor's opinion, do what's in this book, right? Find God. And again, if you need help because the God of your childhood was, 
you know, not a God you'd be comfortable turning your life over to, we can help you with that. Get a relationship with God, surrender to this God, clean up your past, help others, and always, always, always pray because there is a God. And as we say here, we believe that God is still alive and well and launching search and rescue missions for us addicts. And with that, I pass. Thank you.